Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dian. Today, I am joined by Charlie Chapman. Hey, Charlie, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is, uh, it's kind of weird being on somebody else's show. Uh, I, keep, <laughs> I keep looking for my notes like, oh no, I'm not prepared. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I just get to be here and be asked questions. So this is, uh, <laughs> this is kind of a treat. You're the perfect guest to have on for our first episode of the year and our first in our series uh, where I'm interviewing indie developers. You've written a lot about your indie development experience. You have your own podcast. And I'll let you go ahead and get started introducing yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm a software developer. I've been a software developer since you know I graduated college in 2011. But I was in kind of the Microsoft stack for a long time. And so mostly doing like web apps and stuff like that. And in the JavaScript world, naturally, whenever that started taking over everything. But I did briefly get the opportunity to work on uh, Windows Phone and Windows 11. Or uh, Windows 8 is what it was at that time. Man. And I kind of like fell in love with the whole touch-based interfaces. You get to spend a bunch of time doing math to calculate velocities on animations and stuff. And that was just totally my jam. So I really, really liked that. I actually... I actually made like an, a little indie app on the Windows Store and released that and kind of touched, you know, dabbled my my feet in that whole world a little bit. And it was just addicting. I mean, I didn't even make enough money to get a payout from Microsoft. So this is not like some, you know, massive success story, <laughs> but it was really fun. But then, of course, uh, that platform was not long for this world. So I got pulled back into the web stack uh, world, which was fine. You know, I still liked that. But then at my previous employer, I happened to end up with an opportunity to jump over to an iOS team. It was really kind of random and it all happened all at once. And I think the most I knew about Swift was I was traveling to in-laws the summer before and in the car. For some reason, I decided to start reading through Apple's Swift book because I was curious about it. I hadn't even downloaded Xcode. Like This is how green and ignorant I was of all Apple development. But for some reason, they decided to let me switch over there, partially because I was familiar with the, the surrounding tech stack. So hopefully I would be at least partially helpful while I learned the ropes. And so that was the beginning of 2019. And I just dove headfirst into iOS and Swift land and Xcode with a team, which is everybody asks, like, how did you get started learning Swift and everything? And I feel like I don't have a good answer because I sat down with other developers and worked with them for a year. Uh, that's how. Like, <laughs> it was kind of uh, like cheating my way through, through learning everything with a bunch of people who'd been doing it a long time. So were you the novice on the team and then everybody else was oh, more yeah, experienced yeah. with Swift? Yeah, okay. the, real, the way the conversation went down was I was in a meeting because I was a back-end developer that helped support this team. And mm-hmm. one of the uh, managers was like, yeah, they're looking at like changing some things up and they're going to bring on a junior developer. And I sort of joked how junior are you willing to take? And then he looked at me and he's like, would you be interested? And I was like, I mean, yeah, like I would love to do that, but you know, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about it or whatever. And then Mm -hmm. he went and got the manager of that or the, the tech lead of that team. And like in the span of 10 minutes, it was like, all right, well, uh, in a couple months, you're going to switch over to this. And it was like, Whoa, what is happening? Uh, (laughs) it was very sudden, but I was just, I mean, ecstatic. Yeah. Right. And, and it, I mean, it ended up being more than Windows Phone development, something I just totally fell in love with. And so Dark Noise, my white noise indie app that we're ostensibly going to talk about here with all my tangents that I tend to go on, that was 
that was literally a like I'm a nerd that has an Apple note filled with app ideas. I've had this for forever since before I was even on iOS. And when I switched over to this team, I was like, all right, I have to like do a side project to learn this because I need to be helpful to this team somewhat soon or I'm going to feel horrible. So I just went through and found the one that didn't need an internet connection and didn't need a server. And the one on my list that fit that bill the best was this little white noise app. And I was like, all right, perfect. I'll just build this thing so that I can like learn Swift. So there's certain parts of this app that I wrote with like less than a month of iOS experience. <laughs> so it's been it's been kind of an interesting journey. <laughs> it's interesting too that you were brought on late enough that you could just jump right into Swift. Because I was in the same boat where we had a .NET app and it was like, this was a few years before Swift. So I had to do it in an Objective-C. But yeah, I was in the same position where I started off as a Microsoft shop. So yeah, I know that's... I know that's like what you said you had a like a notebook full of ideas. How do, how does that work exactly? Like every time you have an idea, do you just put it in your notebook? Like and how extensive do you sketch out your ideas before you get started? Yeah, it's funny. This was actually a topic on the most recent, at least recent as of time recording released episode of of Launch with Ryan Jones. Because everybody has sort of a different way of doing this, but they seem to all land on a similar concept. But for me, it's basically like if I have any idea at all. I have a Apple note that's literally just a bullet point list of ideas. And if I'm like, oh, this might be an interesting app idea. And like it sticks in my head enough. Like I think about it enough times that I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep thinking about this. I'll just write it down. And then every time I have a new idea for it that like, oh, it should do this or it should limit things this way or whatever. I'll just add that as a sub bullet point. And eventually it starts looking silly because there's this huge sub bullet point inside of my giant list of just random ideas. And if it starts getting big enough to where it looks silly, then it graduates into its own note. And then if that keeps growing to the point where I'm like coming up with names and app icons and all this stuff, then that'll graduate into its own, you know, folder. And then it'll probably sit there forever because I'm very slow and I probably won't actually get to it. But uh, it's sort of this like graduating scale of like ideas and they slowly sort of grow over time. So it's 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 not like super complicated. So you what kind of stuff do you put in there? You said app icons. Do you buy domain names? No. Uh, so one thing about oh, me is I'm exceptionally okay. cheap. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I say that wearing these like AirPods Max, so I guess I that's like <laughs> not really a fair thing to say anymore. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm exceptionally cheap, but I also bought the new cleaning cloth for my MacBook. Yeah, Pro. no, like, no, okay, I'm not quite. Th- I'm not quite that bad. I I will say <laughs> having a having a side project that makes money actually uh, has has changed that uh, level of cheapness a little bit. I think, but yeah, I can imagine. Like, well, you know, everything's got to be an investment. How are you going to test out? Yeah, Dark yeah, exactly. Without those, I make you know, an audio AirPod app, Pro Max. You know, yeah, I, make- I have to have these. <laughs> It's for my work. Hey, folks, I want to let you know about one of the sponsors of today's episode, RevenueCat. RevenueCat makes it easy for app developers to build, analyze, and grow in-app purchases and subscriptions on iOS, Android, and the web. No server code required. With a few lines of code, get in-app purchases, infrastructure, analytics, integrations without managing servers. If you're trying to navigate the updates and changes to the App Store as they come through this year, then RevenueCat is the way you're going to want to go. They have 
totally reasonable pricing and great integration with all sorts of different APIs. So you can actually track your customers and analyze reports of what's going on. I highly recommend you check our episode out with Andy Bodeo we did a few months ago, where we talk about the importance of in-app purchases and how RevenueCat can help you out. They have a brand new dashboard you should definitely check out, which I'll provide a link to some videos in the show notes below that offer some glimpses at the kind of power that RevenueCat offers. So whether you're an indie app or whether you're enterprise, you definitely want to check RevenueCat out. Go to the link in the show notes below and try RevenueCat today. It's going to be really easy for you to integrate and get started right away. And thank you, RevenueCat, for sponsoring today's episode. No, but like, so my big hobby growing up and still a little bit to this day was always like video. I loved editing, shooting video, uh, and then I sort of moved to like motion graphics and stuff like that. And the thing about that as a hobby is it's expensive. Like software is expensive, especially as like a college kid. And so I've always had this sort of like all of my side projects have to be like self-funded in my head which I know intellectually doesn't actually really make sense. And it hampers a lot of things that I do. Like my podcast makes no money. So I almost will spend zero money on it, which means like I end up building these complicated, you know, pseudo self-hosting platforms myself using web technologies that uh, I haven't done professionally for a long time. So like my React is like really uh, rusty and I'm, you know, uploading things to Amazon S3 buckets and building out this whole thing. And it's like, this is just silly. And that one I did finally like at least pay a host. Uh, But my website and stuff is still all built myself. And honestly... Obviously, you haven't listened to my sponsor reads because I have a few suggestions. (laughs) Well, I've listened to a lot. But like I said, like I can't get past the... Do it uh, yourself rather than pay someone to do it. It's not even that. It's not like a, a pride thing. It's like a... It's not bringing in money. So that means this project is a net loss, which makes me feel bad about it. Oh, interesting. So like my position, I think my vice in that regard is I want to do it because I want to learn how it works. And as my family has grown and my business has grown, uh, I have less and less time for that. And, uh, you know, I have I have money in my business that I can like spend on stuff. So like I feel a little bit as a like a independent developer, like a little bit more like leeway and being able to spend money for my business on, on, on things that save time that are both beneficial to my business and beneficial to my personal life. Yeah. So like, I, I don't feel as guilty in that sense. I guess my, my question to you would be is like, do you outsource anything that you do? Like, or do you have somebody look at your code or do you like get like people to help you with your copy or anything like that? No. That's like a whole, I mean, so I, we haven't mentioned it yet, but like I still do have a full-time job as an iOS developer. Yeah. So any sort of like contracting, really working with people at all uh, is something that it, that's a skill I have not like built up, you know, yeah. figuring out how to invoice people or to pay people back or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, there's a reason why my podcast still doesn't have sponsors and it's not because <laughs> I'm a benevolent uh, person who doesn't like money it's because <laughs> that's a whole system i need to figure out and learn and you know right, I just haven't right. done that yet that yeah that's a skill i haven't taken the time to build out and i think i think it hurts me especially with with the podcast because like it takes so much 
time, the amount of time I spend editing. Um, and yeah. I really should be hiring somebody to do the editing because I'm we'll, too picky we'll talk about, about it. that offline. Yeah. <laughs> I have suggestions. There's a YouTuber I watch who talks about films, Patrick H. Willems. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he, he did a recent episode where he talked about making a film and he talked about specifically that I'm posting a link, but it was really interesting. Just like the fact that he realized he can't do everything himself and like, he needs to get help. And what I've, what I've found is that I'm more productive. Like there's a, there's a max limit to how much a human being can do, no matter how skilled they are. And like having the ability to get help and like pay that person to help you, like allows you to just get more things done. But that's a skill you have to build. Like it's not like it is a skill, and it's a skill I'm building. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I, I've, I'm trying to build it better. As much <laughs> as, like, and, and the problem is, like, I don't know about you, but I love to program and I love to code and I love to do that stuff. And I don't, I don't want to be in ten years a fifty year old who like manages manages all his stuff and doesn't get to code ever. Like that's my fear because I love to do what I do. So it's like. Because I see that, especially in, in big corporate world, is like you get so good at coding, they're like, okay, good. Now you can be a manager. And yeah. You might not be right. great at it. It might not be your thing, but that's just the way they do stuff because that's the way it's been in, in the big yeah, corporate what's the, world. There's a name like, for that where you're uh, you're promoted to your level of incompetency. It's like yeah, Peter's exactly. Law or something. I can't remember what it's called. Right, 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 right. No, my, so to your earlier question, uh, <laughs> the running joke for me is always that I, I hate code. To me, code is a means... I feel like I feel like I'm like in the wrong era sometimes. Like I feel like I should be a programmer in the like early 2000s, mid 2000s, where it was like hacker culture. Like now everybody's like professional and bugs are bad. And if we leak everybody's data, that's bad, which is a very good thing that that's the way the world is. But my personality is like, I don't really care about how pretty my code is, if that makes sense, or how right. heavily abstracted it is, or... Lots of that stuff. To me, code is like purely a means to an end, which is building a product. Like that's what I'm just completely obsessed with and fascinated with. Right. And if you're the only person maintaining it, that's... Still- yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, you don't want no, to look at my... Uh, right. The Dark Noise code base is not only a personal project where I get to live free and die hard with my <laughs> decisions on how clean my code is, but it's also, like I said earlier... It was built in a place of pure ignorance on Swift and iOS development uh, from the beginning. So parts of that app were built just like really, what's the right word? The opposite of wise. I, <laughs> I made decisions there that if I look at now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Right. But it hasn't caused necessarily issues. It's just when I need to go update it, I have to basically rewrite it. And that's the thing that happens a lot. Um, so how do you filter some of those ideas out? Is it based on how much is it just based on how much of a note, the Apple note you have on that particular app idea? Or is it like, oh, this is like this is a great opportunity I see here. I need to take advantage of it as soon as possible. So so I guess I didn't mention earlier, but like once once I start a project, it graduates to a Jira board. Um so okay. I have like a Kanban. Or not Jira, not Jira. Oh my goodness, I've been in uh, Jobby Job mine too long. It's a, uh, <laughs> it's a, uh, what's the Trello Trello board? Either, okay. It's a Kanban That's, board. Yeah, I get the same day. idea, right? Yeah, Kanban, exactly. Yeah. That Kanban board for dark noise is is gotten to the point of being sort of silly as well because 
I don't take the time to sit there and prune it. But basically, like when I have ideas, I just throw it in the ideas backlog. And okay. maybe it graduates into the, you know, this feature I'm working on backlog. And then, and then it moves to the board. And as far as like what I'm choosing to do itself, there's kind of two tracks to everything. There's like from, so because it's a side project, I move exceptionally slow on it. As you know, I also have kids and a pandemic is ravaging the world, uh, which has <laughs> taken away all my coffee uh, nighttime, which is when I used to be productive. So like, I basically have from the beginning, I have this like plan for long term plan for the app where I want to go with it. Um, and there's certain features that are part of that plan. And because I move so slow, I'm still working on that original plan. So that part is pretty easy. Um, and then there's the secondary part, which is when Apple releases an update, whether it's WWDC or like with the keyboard or with the cursor support that they added like mid cycle. If they push something out that's sort of like, a new feature that I can jump on. I don't do any like real marketing efforts or customer acquisition or anything like that. A lot of my marketing kind of revolves around jumping into the the hype train that Apple builds up around these new releases. So if I can get a new Apple feature into my app, that massively increases the chances that, you know, nine to five writes about me, people will bring me up on Reddit or wherever because they're like trying to figure out this new feature and how it works. And they're looking for apps that implement it. And you're saying about users are trying to figure out the new feature. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, when widgets first came out, I think it was total happenstance. I just happened to be one of the first people to get a widget through into test flight before Apple like pushed a bug or something that prevented widgets from working for test flight builds. And so there was a good like, uh, I guess two weeks, like a whole release cycle where my app was one of the only apps that people could really play around with that was a third-party app that had widgets. Um, and it was only oh, wow. because cool. Apple was locking everybody else out. But it like <laughs> there was all sorts of Reddit conversation and people they were like analyzing it, what it could do and couldn't do. And it was like, this is kind of fascinating. Obviously, mm-hmm. that was a fluke and luck and probably didn't necessarily drive that many sales. But, but the point of that is, that is like the secondary stream of work where it's like, I try to just jump on those things as fast as I can to get them out to get onto that hype train that Apple builds up either on release day or right after a feature gets released or something like that. Okay. I, that's, I've heard that before too, with like folks like David Smith that like mm-hmm. getting, getting that feature that Apple is releasing in a new OS is a great way to like get exposure and, and things like that. It so seems like the general, makes a lot of sense. the general uh, conversation I hear about that is when you're starting off, that's like a really, really effective way to potentially get in. Like it's it's kind of luck because you don't control what Apple editorial happens to see and happens to pick. But if you have no following already, you haven't built up a name recognition or anything like that, that is a good yeah. way to like get in there. Especially if you can get in some of those lists that they build, they'll reuse those lists throughout the year in the App Store. And you mentioned nine to five Mac. So you're saying not only like is there outside press that will love it and people who will share it, but you think like the fact that Apple will highlight you is a big chunk of what helps you. I think Apple highlighting you is possibly even the bigger deal. Okay. Okay. Like a nine to five article or something like that, that can be really big the day it comes out. Um, and the nice thing about those is those, those sites do have good SEO. So like, especially it's like, uh, the, you know, best widgets of iOS 15. Well, people are going to be updating the iOS 15 over the next year or updating phones maybe that 
well, 15 is kind of not a great example, but a lot of times people will get a new phone for Christmas and it's got a newer version. And now there's this new thing and they'll Google like, what are these widgets? And mm-hmm. nine to five, I'm more, those places have really good SEO. That's how their whole you know companies work. And so right. those articles will come to the forefront. So if you're on that list, that helps. But the the app store lists, like great new apps with dark mode, or in my case, like relaxing sleep sounds or something like that. Those lists will pay dividends over a long period of time because either people searching in the app store will come across those or like they'll use those lists up on like rotation or something on the, the main today tab. And that can drive a lot of sales too. That makes a lot of sense. And it, like you said, it seems like it's much more important if you don't have that following. Once you have that following, yeah. the gain might not be as significant. Yeah. And that's what a lot you'll hear a lot of people say, like, it's maybe not worth killing yourself to try and get out on day one and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's very true, especially if you have already built a following and okay. your app's sort of standing on its own marketing at this point. So I wanted to get a bit more into the marketing side of things. What do you think is like the number one thing devs should know about marketing? Because that's like probably one of my and a lot of devs struggle is figuring out how to get that messaging out there for their audience. I mean, like I said, I, you know, hopefully it's clear at this point, I'm extremely far from an expert on any of this. So take everything I'm saying here with a deep grain of salt. I, it's not like I have built some. But not, not too much of a grain of salt. I mean, a big grain of salt since you're pretty successful at it. So. I, I would say I'm loud and successful relative <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> successful relative to it being, you know, a side project. This, you know, it's it hasn't replaced my full-time salary, for example. So it's not like I've built this big business. So there are people who are doing this that have built a big business that definitely know what they're talking about more. That being said, for the type of marketing and everything that I've been doing, I think I think the big thing is like this is like really highfalutin maybe and like I don't know, very Disney-ish, but it's like telling a story is like the most important thing. I think having, I think a lot of people will be really good developers and they'll build a polished app that's really good with a giant list of features and kind of push that all out as this big thing. And that doesn't necessarily resonate with people the same as like one or two features that fit into a story, if that makes sense. Right. That makes total sense. Yes. And then capitalizing on each of the next releases like taking those features and treating them as their own story um, and giving them a little bit more, more space to breathe. I feel like a lot of times that's something I, I say, I see um, this mistake a lot again, coming from my perspective that could very well be wrong. That's something I, I see a lot and I'm like, man, I, I really would like to see you parse out some of these features that you're doing and release them as individual chunks and like, Try and build a narrative around that of like why this is important to people. And sometimes you might find that a lot of the features on your list aren't really that helpful to people or don't fit into, maybe aren't as worth your time as other things. So I guess (laughs) to answer your question about marketing, I almost went to the actual product itself. It's like the beginning of marketing is the actual product. And maybe that's the most important piece of marketing is to build a thing that is that resonates with people in the first place. And it sounds like that you can tell a narrative too, because otherwise it's really hard to communicate what that app does if you just have a bunch of bullet points. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, what I've seen is kind of like finding pain points and just finding out, okay, like now build a narrative around that pain point to where your product fixes that issue. It's a really good way to put it. I've not, I haven't thought of it that way. Like I know how important stories are, but I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. And know that most people aren't going to read your blog post. It needs to be a story that's almost, um, I don't know, self-told, but like condensed enough that as it gets filtered through the app store page or or potential press articles you get, that story is going to still hold true. So it has to almost be pretty simple. Yep. Yep. That makes total sense. So maybe we can get into a little bit more the technical side of things. But like one thing I wanted to ask is what what are some APIs you've been learning recently that you've been trying to plug into your current apps? And how's that experience been? Uh, well, so the one, uh, my white whale is, uh, is AirPlay 2. Okay. It itself isn't an API. The APIs are long names that I can never say off the top of my head because it's, you know, AV, sample, buffer, render, these things. Right, I don't right. know if you've worked with but those. Just... Those are the ones that I've been, I've been battling off and on for over a year because, so I, I, I released the Mac version of the app using Catalyst uh, over the summer. It's great, by the way. I love it. Well, I was just going to tell you my use case. So I do bedtime and I'll be working on my Mac and sitting in the room and I'll just play a dark noise while I'm working. So that way the boys can finally go to sleep on my on my MacBook Air. So, yeah, like I use it quite a bit on the Mac. So it's it's fantastic. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. So like the thing with the Mac app is I wanted to do a similar thing I did with the iOS app, which is like really dive into focusing on if you're a person that's like in the Apple ecosystem, how do I make this like the best platform citizen white noise app? Because, you know, there's a million white noise apps. Uh, well, especially in iOS, but there's even a decent amount on the Mac store, app store, which is saying a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, many is a, it's a much smaller subset, but they, the big ones that are on the iOS app store do exist on the Mac. And a lot of them are native apps. Okay. So I was trying to kind of focus in on, you know, what makes this platform different and what are the things I can plug into? And that's where I like came up with the being able to shrink it down to like an incredibly tiny window. That was part of that. I want to make it a menu bar app at some point, but Catalyst has made that difficult. Speaking of APIs that have been a problem. But one of the big ones was I, my office setup here is uh, I have two HomePods and that's what I use for playing my, my music. OG HomePods? Uh, no, I have the HomePod minis. I had a, I had an OG HomePod behind me because I used to use all three for testing all the time. And then it started feeling completely ridiculous that my little office had three HomePods in it. And uh, so I moved <laughs> moved that one to the kitchen. Um, but uh, but like that with Apple Music, that's how I would play my music. And it was awesome because within the Apple Music app, you have a separate AirPlay button. And it, it it's sure. independent of the like audio you're sending out of your Mac. So right. if you're spending all day jumping in between Zoom meetings, like many of us are now, it's annoying if you have your Mac set to send its audio to a HomePod and then you jump onto Zoom, but you don't want that on the HomePod. So now you need to do the dance where you switch it over to use your AirPods or whatever. Right. But with Apple Music, you could say like Apple Music is pointing at the HomePod and it's always pointing at the HomePod and the Mac isn't. And so it'll just switch to my HomePod, my AirPods when I put those in. And so you could 
hit pause, jump into a meeting, throw your AirPods in. You're just connected. Meeting ends, mm-hmm. take your AirPods out, hit play, and the Apple Music never disconnected from the HomePods. So that was always its source. Mm-hmm. Right. So I really wanted that experience for the Dark Noise Mac app. Um, but what I learned was that only works with AirPlay 2. So okay. similar to if you look at the very first like review of Dark Noise back in 2019, one of the things that was brought up was that it didn't support AirPlay 2. And on the iPhone, that mostly means it's not quite as responsive if you're AirPlaying. So like you hit a button and it has to wait a couple seconds to buffer. And then also like if you walk out of the house, it'll disconnect you know, faster or whatever. And so it's always been a thing that I've tried to implement but could never figure out. But then for the Mac app, I went really deep and tried to figure this out. And all that to say, I eventually did end up giving up on that as well. So it's it's yet again my white whale that will uh, always be sitting there and I will always be rewriting my render engine to try and support uh, all those AirPlay 2 APIs. Um, but maybe one day, either they will update or I will be able to figure it out and uh, I'll be able to use it. So that was like an incredibly long-winded answer to what APIs are you using? Yeah, no, that's very interesting though, like how you struggle with it and like figure out when to kind of give up or put it on hold. And is it a challenge with Apple's documentation or what was what's the big issue with AirPlay 2 for you? So part of it is the documentation because the documentation for the most part is WWDC videos, mm-hmm. which is frequent you know issue with with apple apis is like your only docs are videos and the videos are varying degrees of out of date right airplay 2 isn't that out of date from the videos but it's like what i'm trying to do is is plugging multiple things apple apis together like av audio engine and these Mm -hmm. audio renderers and that has proved to be like even conceptually not even possible not even positive that's like a thing that's truly possible or intended. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, too, there's like, there's AirPlay 2, but then there's also, I don't know, is Apple Music, does that allow you to control the HomePod so that it can play without AirPlaying? You know what well, I mean? That's a, like, yeah, I know, that's a separate thing. Okay, that's a separate thing. So yeah. like, yeah, right. The, the gist of AirPlay 2 is instead of streaming audio to your HomePods, like as just kind of a stream. And then the HomePods, they will like buffer up, you know, a second or half second or something. Right, right. Which is why it takes a second to respond whenever you tap it. AirPlay 2, the way it's working is like the HomePods will eagerly keep asking for the stream way ahead of time. Mm. So it'll build up this really long buffer. So your app can stream as fast as the HomePod can ask for it. So it's streaming way ahead of time. Okay. Which is which is kind of a cool, it's their way of answering the fact that Chromecasts, like the device itself is the one streaming. And so you get these benefits like your phone can disconnect and your music doesn't stop playing on your kitchen speakers or whatever. Right, right. And on the AirPod or on HomePods, it's like if you go take out the trash, your music might stop for a little while. And so this was like, well, what if we had a couple minutes of a buffer on the HomePod? So you could go take the trash and come back and it would never have stopped, that kind of thing. Um, but if yep. you're doing live music, which is essentially what Dark Noise is doing, because it's it's not like it's it's doing a loop, um, and I'm running it through an engine itself. So like, there's some randomization in there. So it kind of it's not necessarily. I was going to ask about that. Loop. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I have a bunch of plans with AV Audio Engine to like allow more effects and more randomization and changes because the idea is you don't want it to feel like you're listening to a loop. Full loop, um, yep. And I spent a and lot of time. Fantastic, by the way. Thank you. Uh, and I, I'll still get like bug reports from people on certain devices that can hear a certain loop, and that always drives me crazy. And I'll I'll try and spend a lot of time tracking those down. Hey, folks! I wanted to let you know once again about Linode. Linode has been absolutely awesome at hosting my website, and I highly recommend you're checking them out. If you're looking at starting that new server-side Swift app, then you'll definitely want to take a look at Linode. Linode has been ranked as one of the top infrastructure-as-a-service providers, and if you're a developer, they're going to be perfect for you. Their simple, easy-to-use API, command line, or user interface is easy for developers to get started. They have Kubernetes, video streaming services, cloud GPUs, machine learning, and all sorts of other apps. It's highly affordable and a great way to get started if you need your own custom server located anywhere around the world. They have free 100% human support that is 24-7, 365 days. They have brand new servers located in Toronto and Mumbai, and they're a great alternative if you're looking for something besides one of the more bigger cloud services. Try the link in the show notes below and receive $100 in credit. And if you're looking at getting started on that server-side Swift app, check out the link also in my show notes for the presentation I did for 360 iDev on how to get started with getting that Vapor app set up. Again, go to the link in the show notes below to try Linode and get $100 in credit today. Thank you for listening. Enjoy getting started and enjoy the rest of the episode. I feel like that's the kind of audio file who's just like, okay, let me see if I can find the loop. Okay. Uh, there it is. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to post her if you're going to let Charlie know. <laughs> Cause I don't, I think there is that to a degree. I think more though, it's like, if you can hear a certain thing, if you accidentally hear it at any point and you're trying to sleep or you're trying to focus, you know, you're trying to focus on your math homework and all of a sudden you hear a, a tick yeah. and then a minute later you hear the same tick. And now it's like, it just, it takes over your brain in this weird way. So I empathize with those right. people. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's, makes it's a pain to track down too. <laughs> so one other thing I wanted to ask you about that you mentioned uh, you're a big fan of is like motion graphics. So have you, is most of your code UI kit still, I guess? Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I've pulled in Swift UI here and there. Um, well, especially with widgets, right? Yeah, widgets are all Swift UI. Yeah. Some of my setting screens, I've been trying to pull in Swift UI. How do you, do you build your motion graphics then all in code, I guess? So like uh, gestural animations and stuff are all built in code. Okay. But then, so like each of my icons are, when you play, they like animate in some way. Gotcha. That's how you can see. Okay. It, you, it's not on the Mac. That was another learning from the Mac version is the Mac's always present. Uh, like it's always being rendered. And so it ended up being kind of a resource hog to always be running these animations. Whereas on iOS, right. it's once it's put in the background, all my animations stop and it's like, it's no longer a resource hog at all. Right. And so the Mac, you won't see those, but on iOS, like all the, all the icons, when you tap on them, they have some sort of unique animation that goes to it. And all of those are built uh, in, I build them in After Effects and then bring them into the app using Lottie, if you're familiar with that. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so you use After Effects for your, your motion graphics. Yeah, yeah. After Effects is Lottie. kind of okay. 
I, I'm probably more comfortable and familiar in After Effects than I am in Xcode still. <laughs> Despite having never done that yeah. professionally. So I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I wanted to get, you mentioned you have a jobby job, right? I was going to ask you, how has being an indie developer helped you with your jobby job? And what have you brought uh, to your to your full-time job? based on the experience you've done with being an indie developer and how, how maybe that's helped you. I mean, like I said at the beginning, like it's a large part of how I learned how to do any of this in the first place. I spend all day working with people, learning from them and, and trying to build things. And then I'd go home and try and build my own things and solving different problems maybe than we had tried to solve or whatever. And then I'd come into the office and talk about my problems I was having and then they'd help me. And, you know, it created this really beautiful, for me at least, feedback loop uh, of, of learning. But then the other part on top of that, and this was something I noticed the moment I switched over to the iOS team, is a bunch of people on the team had their own apps in the store. And it's kind of like the expertise that you build in a job around how, like, the app store itself works doesn't come organically the same way as learning how, you know, Xcode autocomplete works or how to do, you know, associated enum types and enums or something. A lot of people don't spend a lot of time in their job, especially if it's a bigger team, in App Store Connect, setting up App Store pages or dealing with App Store submissions or rejections. And so when you do that yourself, you, you're doing the whole stack. And so when those conversations happen about doing a submission or something like that, you kind of actually have some legitimacy and, and expertise in how that process works. And um, having more of that experience, I think, is like a really helpful, uh, it's not a skill, I guess it's just a knowledge sort of base. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What do you think bigger teams or corporate the corporate world could learn from your experience as an indie developer? Uh, uh, I don't know. I feel like they're... <laughs> I feel like they're just like very different business goals, right? Right, right. Indie developer is able to move fast or, or nimbly, I guess, maybe, because they don't, they're not trying to coordinate with a whole bunch of people. So you can... Right. Like, I can manually regression test my whole app before I do a release because <laughs> I don't do a release every two weeks and I'm the right. only one who built anything. So it's not... The surface area isn't that huge. right. That allows me to catch way more issues than automated tests do. And even more importantly, it allows me to not write automated tests, which are painful and time sucks. And uh, <laughs> like, but you can't get away with that on a giant team where people are moving in and out of and all that. So I don't know. I don't, I, that's a good question, but I don't know of a good. I mean, at least you have a good perspective on the full stack and the full process yeah, of getting right. an app into the app store. So you'll know what gotchas the marketing team is going to run into when they edit the app product page. So that's always helpful. It also... So what I found switching to iOS is that most of the companies I've worked for anyway, it's kind of like most of the infrastructure around software development isn't mobile-based. It's either web-based or or in, internal you know, software, whatever that would be, based. And so designers, project managers, a lot of those people don't have the same expertise built up about like app store policies, right? Which is totally right. fair. 
Um, and so when you've done that yourself uh, in an indie capacity, it's part of building up this expertise that's sort of expected of you because you have to be able to advocate for when a design decision is being made early on, you have to be able to say, hey, just so you know, if we do that, here's the consequences in the App Store or, or Apple's not going to let us do that unless we make these tweaks. And you can, you can advocate for those before you run into the problem way down the line after you've built a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so I, do, that I think that's, a lot of sense. that is an area where it really does come into play and be helpful in, in sort of a corporate setting. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you, Charlie, so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was, uh, this was really fun. So we'll be doing uh, four more episodes in this series. Uh, next will be uh, Mustafa Yusuf, uh, who does the uh, wonderful to-do app that... Uh, tasks? Yeah, Tasks. Yes. Thank you. Excellent. I knew it was something super simple. It's an awesome app. Awesome, too. <laughs> yeah, so I look forward to that in a couple of weeks. So that will be coming out. Charlie, where can people find you? I guess probably the best place is Twitter. Uh, so it's underscore Chuck YC. Um, or you can find me on my website at charliemchapman.com. And you have a podcast too. Yes, I have a podcast. <laughs> launched launchedfm.com. Uh, speaking of not buying domain names and being cheap, uh, I have not bought the launch.fm domain. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, and Dark Noise. Uh, that's, that's the app I have. And yeah, you can search for that on the, the uh, app store. Yeah. So maybe when, uh, maybe I'll start using that again once uh, we kick the little guy out of our bed. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you again, Charlie, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on, on, well, I don't know if you've mentioned that. So maybe I shouldn't say that, but yes, I have. Okay. Yes. Congratulations yes. then He's... on the little guy. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, everybody have a happy new year. Folks can find me on Twitter at Leo GD on my company is Bright Digit. If you could take some time and post a review to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or subscribe or like on YouTube, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you again about more indie developers. Have a good one. Bye.